Thanks for joining us for the City Church Podcast. More information on City Church is available at www.ourcitychurch.org. Good morning. Come on, turn to somebody around you and just tell them good morning. Go ahead, turn to somebody around you and say good morning. How are you today? There you go, you can see each other. Good to see you. Now you can say that actually, good to see you. Good morning, good to see you. Y'all doing okay this morning? Yeah, well, welcome. If you're new here, welcome to City Church. My name's Justin. Very grateful that you came to join us this morning and to sing with us and worship with us. I love just seeing babies get dedicated to Jesus, don't you? Isn't that beautiful? I think it's beautiful. It's, uh, it's a special thing, very special thing. So um, thrilled about that. A couple of quick uh, hits um, before we get into the scripture. Just to let you know, um, if you're new, there's a card that you received when you walked in. It's called a welcome card. It says on the top, Welcome card, and, uh, and that's got just some basic opportunity, just opportunity for you to fill out some basic information if you'd like. If you'd like to share some information at the end of the service, we'll be, as you leave, there'll be an offering. You can put that welcome card in the offering. We'd love to pray for you if you have something that you'd like prayer for. If you're new here and you'd like more information about the church, we'd love to give that to you as well. For those of you guys that have been around for a little while, you know that we've been uh, talking a lot about the second location that City Church will be launching in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Very excited about that. Now listen, um, yeah, glory to God. We're really excited about that. I want to be really straight with you now. If you're new here, uh, this is not for you, okay? If you're new here, we want you to be blessed. We want you to receive. We want you to uh, not feel like you need to do anything other than just scope out who we are and receive from God. Um, If you've been around for a while and you're committed to this body and you're here every week and you believe God's in what we're doing and you want to get behind it, uh, we need to raise a lot of money for Bridgeport. Woohoo! Yeah, woo. Okay, yeah. Okay, so um, so right now we've raised I think just around seven thousand dollars, which is wonderful. We need to raise about thirty. Okay, so that leaves twenty three thousand dollars that we're believing God for, and we need you to get behind it. We need you to dare to get behind it. And so every week we've given you opportunity. It'll be this week and next week. We'll kind of close down this four week push to raise some funds to get us off the ground for Bridgeport. And so if you want to give, I encourage you consider giving this week. That'll happen at the end of service. You've got a little yellow envelope, and uh, you can give through that envelope specifically to Bridgeport, okay? And so um, those of you who have not been around, you, or let me just fill you in briefly. We'll be launching a second location in October. And Bridgeport, believe God, is going to give us a grace to reach two cities at the same time. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, because we want to actually reach way more than that. So we're just starting uh, with two. So very excited about that. If God puts it on your heart to give, I'll bring it up again before we wrap up the service. But remember, that's that yellow envelope, and we encourage you to give extravagantly to the glory of God. All right, also, last thing is uh, Memorial Day is coming up next week, and Scott and Carol Samuelson have been very nice to open up their home for a massive party. So uh, it's all on our website. If you go to ourcitychurch.org, you can get the information, but we want to encourage you to come, and you can sign up for something today at the yellow table if you want to bring a dessert, if you want to bring drinks, if you want to bring whatever, uh, sign up, but uh, even if you don't sign up, you can still come, all right? And so we want to encourage you to come, meet some new people. That'll be next Monday. And uh, on Memorial Day, and uh, meet some new people and enjoy the time together. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Colossians chapter 3. If not, it will be on the screen. For those of us that have been here for the last six weeks, we've been walking verse by verse 
through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. Now remember, Colossae is about you know, 100 miles off the coast of Turkey. Um, he wrote this probably 25 to 35 years after Jesus rose from the dead, and he wrote it to a group of Christians that he had never personally met. One of his friends had started the church. He's sitting probably in a Roman prison as he wrote this, and he writes the words that we believe God inspired supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. We're going to read a few verses in this today. And uh, guys, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a sad, uh, sad truth that we've got this week and we've got next week and we're through the book of Colossians. So, um, so I wrote Colossians 2 and uh, 2 Colossians and we're going to go through that next. So it's going to be great. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. All right. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. If you noticed, we covered Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 in our worship to God today. So verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Some incredibly controversial verses in there. We're going to cover them today. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to study the scripture, to realize that something that was written thousands of years ago is more practical and applicable than almost anything we see in the world, really over everything we see. God, we thank you that this truth that is written so long ago is so relevant and so real. God, as we cover these verses that uh, may seem confusing or we're not sure what they mean, God, I pray that as we pull them apart that you'd bring clarity and that above all that, God, you would speak to us by your spirit. God, we're hungry to hear from you today. We need you. Let's just acknowledge that. God, we need you. We need your spirit. We need your voice in our lives. We need your guidance. We need you. We welcome you, God. We don't want to hear the words of a man today. We want to hear the words of God today. Speak to us. Amen. Who do you work for? Do you like where you work? You don't have to like shout me down, especially if you work on our staff. Don't say anything. Do you, um, do you, do you like the management? Um, do you like the leadership where you work? Think about, just for a moment, where you work. Think about the best place you've ever worked. Think about the worst place you've ever worked. Did you like the management? Did you like the leadership? Who did you really connect with? Um, how do you act when your boss is not there? Do you go golfing? Um, you know, are you faithful to your boss when he's not around? Are you, uh, are you faithful to your friends? And so many people would say, wait, I'm faithful to my friends. Well, are you faithful to your boss? What inspires your faithfulness to your boss or your lack of faithfulness to your boss? What inspires your faithfulness to your wife or to your friends or to your family? What inspires your faithfulness? Why are you faithful? Now, my job experience is slightly different than probably many of us in the room, okay? I'm going to give you the brief Justin Kendrick job experience. So when I was 15 years old, I started painting houses with my dad. My dad's a painter, so I was painting houses with him. So I didn't go and work at McDonald's. I didn't go and work at Wendy's, although I think that that's a great job, and I think that um, you know many of my friends did, did jobs at various places. But as a 15 and 16-year-old kid, I was painting houses, making 
way more money than my friends who were working at Wendy's. So it was awesome. And so I was kind of managing my own deal because dad basically said, listen, I've got work every day. You can come and work as much as you want. I'll pay you the same hourly wage and you just go ahead and work whatever you want to work. And so I would work however much I needed to work to pay my bills. And so um, at 16 years old, I started Justin Kendrick Painting massive corporation that uh, I sold for $2.3 million a few years later. No, I didn't. No, I just basically painted houses, mostly just worked with dad and uh, did that 19, 20, 21. I have never gotten a real paycheck. Never. Isn't that great? I think it's awesome. You may be like, you jerk. I've never gotten a real paycheck after that. I finished, I closed out my great corporation, Justin Kendrick Painting, I had started a landscaping business on top of that, which I hate. In fact, I don't like painting either. And, um, and then I started uh, preaching and playing music and doing ministry. And so that's been kind of my story. But in the midst of all that, I was in college. I have a degree in social work. And so I had to do a year-long internship. And so I chose to do my internship with the Department of Children and Families. Now, they're not the most popular organization on planet Earth today. If you know anything about DCF, you probably don't like them. Uh, DCF uh, deals with abused and neglected kids, has to take kids away sometimes from homes, has to make very difficult decisions about you know, family members and, uh, and, and how those things will interact. It's, it's a difficult, difficult job. And so I worked there for, I think, nine or ten months um, as an intern. Okay, and so it was the only time, of course, they didn't pay me, but it was the only time in my life that I had a real, you know, taste of what the hierarchy of, you know, uh, corporations can look like. And so I remember working there and watching how I saw some people work so diligent and so, so hard and other people completely neglect their responsibilities. And if you know about DCF, you know it's one of the most important jobs, in my view, on the planet. I mean, you're not dealing with numbers or widgets. You're dealing with little kids that can't defend themselves, right? I mean, pretty intense job. And so we're working with these kids, trying to find them homes, trying to find them foster care, trying to find them, you know, uh, some uh, a resources to help them in their play times of need, you know, and all this stuff. And so here I'm an intern kind of following around these different people. And this one particular guy, uh, I was, I was kind of shadowing him. And I remember we went to this house and it was scary because we had to deal with uh, termination of parental rights, but the people weren't there. And so we get there, we knock on the door, they're not there. We hang out for a while, we get back in the car, you know? And so that was kind of that. Then we go get lunch. He had like three or four other people that he had to visit that day. But he turns to me after we eat lunch and he says to me, this is all we've done so far in the day. We went to one place, knocked on the door, they weren't there, ate lunch. That's the day so far, okay? They're paying this guy. We're paying this guy, actually, by the way, if you pay taxes. And if you don't, tell me how you don't do that. But, uh, you know, <laughs> let me know about that. So, um, so at their end of lunch, he, goes, he looks at me and he says, listen, I know you're supposed to be here till five to fulfill your hours, but here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> we're going uh, to cut now. We're going to be done for the day. I've got some Bruce Springsteen tickets. I want to get up early to see Springsteen. And, uh, and, and so just, just cut for the day. Just fill out your thing and tell, just tell, you know, the, the, um, just write in the paperwork that you stayed till five. And so here I am sitting there, this 20-year-old kid in love with Jesus, following Jesus, honoring Jesus, seeking Jesus, desiring to, you know, honor Jesus and realizing that there were three or four more people that were supposed to get visited that day you know, and here I am sitting there in the car and there's this super awkward moment of silence. And I just went like this, no. And he was like, what? I said, I, I, I'm not going to do that. And he goes, uh, why? No, no, it's fine. You don't have to actually stay. You can just go, just fill out the paperwork. Like you said, and like, like I said, and I, I said, well, no. And he said, why? And I was like, well, cause I, I don't lie. 
Now it's awkward. <laughs> so he's like, all right, well, I'm going. I'll see you. And so he just left me there. And so I filled the paperwork out saying that I left at one o'clock and I don't know what happened after that. But what was happening in my soul was that there was a violation of an ethic that I had committed to. And I hadn't committed to that ethic. This is important because mom said to. I didn't commit to that ethic because dad said to. I didn't commit to that ethic because DCF said to. I didn't commit to that ethic because my supervisor had said to or because my university had said to. I had committed to that ethic for a very different reason. An ethic, if you want to kind of clarify, is a code or a discipline, a moral duty, a set of principles. And what I found in our culture today is that we've embraced largely this idea of what I'll call, and other people have used this phrase, so don't quote me with others, but I'll call it impersonal ethics. In other words, we believe it as long as it doesn't inconvenience me. Okay, and so um, one example of this, you know, is I heard a, a recently a leading advocate for abortion said that the vast majority of Americans are pro-life with three exceptions, rape, incest, and my situation. See, what happens is we think, yes, I believe in that. But then when it becomes applied to me, it gets difficult, it gets awkward, and things start to shift. We embrace this idea of impersonal ethics. So I have these ideals, and yet when it boils down to my actual life, things start to shift. You know, people say, I want to help the poor. We want to help the poor. You know, the poor is like this big blanket of people that are the poor. And then all of a sudden we say, well, do you want to help this guy? This guy, he smells funny. This guy, he doesn't have somewhere to live. This guy needs a job. It's going to take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. Do you want to help this guy? Oh, I mean, I want to help the poor. And so we get comfortable with this idea rather than the practice. You know, uh, raise your hand if you shoplift from Walmart on a regular basis. Shoplift, Walmart, shoplifters, no? Okay, so, you know, maybe you don't target. I mean, if you're going to do one, do target, right? Um, <laughs> target, yeah, Amen. Targets from God. And so um, we call it Target in our house. It's, it's high level stuff. And so, um, you know, uh, maybe you don't shoplift. So nobody, nobody here shoplifts from, okay. Um, do you burn CDs from your friend and put them on your iPod? Oh, ouch. Okay. Impersonal ethics. I remember when I was in college, we were playing all these different video games, you know, and uh, we would go to this warehouse in downtown New Haven, okay? Me and my friend Ben. We'd go to this warehouse in downtown New Haven, and like, you know, we'd go in, and they would have all these video games for sale, okay? Video games that normally sold for $50, $60, $70, they had for five, all right? And they were on a blank CD with no, you know, writing, no nothing, and, and they would sell us these video games for five, and we're thinking, this is great, a video game for five bucks. Awesome. And I remember the day, you know, we go there, we make the deal with the guys, we give them cash, obviously, you know, and so we leave and we're playing the video game and all of a sudden like it hits us. Like we look at each other and we're like, is this right? And, and we both look at each other like, it certainly feels right. You know, like we're playing the game, it's fun. And we're sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute, did we just, you know, participate in a stolen ethics? Ethics. You know, we live in a world where it seems like everyone has a price, right? How much will it cost you to do this? If I pay you this much, will you do this? Is there something in your life that is so substantial that regardless of the amount of money, this is a foreign idea in our world, regardless of the amount of money, I'm not going to change what I do. 
foreign idea because we live in this world that says everybody has a price. You probably saw it. It was in the news that uh, one particular organization was offering a million dollars to the young lady who could prove that she slept with Tim Tebow. A million dollars just to prove that she slept with this guy because they're betting that somebody's going to cash in on that. And we need to pray for Tim Tebow in Jesus name that God protects that poor guy. But, but the reality is that he's being hunted because they believe that everybody has a price. Everybody has a price. So in the midst of shady politics and backroom deals and payoffs and Martha Stewart and Donald Trump, what I'm telling you today is that Christianity stands as a stark difference to the world in this area of ethics. And I want to get to the root of it today because I believe that's where Paul's going in the scripture here. Now, since the beginning of the church, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the preaching of Peter and the church is inaugurated through the Holy Spirit coming down, this issue has never gone away. And so in the early days, the issue was Rome, right? And so Rome was the great power of the world at the time of the birth of the church. And of course, the mantra of Rome was a very simple phrase, three words, Caesar is Lord, right? And so everywhere you went, though you may be Greek or you may be Hebrew or you may be Egyptian or you may be on and on and on, all the different parts that Rome had conquered, the thing that unified them all was not their ethnicity, it was not their language, right? It was not their culture. The thing that unified all of Rome was this idea that Caesar is Lord. The problem is that they didn't just mean that he's Lord like he's, you know, an important guy. What they really actually meant was we believe this guy's some form of a demigod. We believe that he's divine. And see, the Christians, as they began to follow Jesus and believe in a resurrected Savior, had a struggle with saying Caesar is Lord because they didn't believe that Caesar was Lord. They believed that Jesus is Lord. And so early on in the Christian uh, reality, people began to say, well, okay, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians would say, well... Jesus is Lord. And that became problematic for the Christians because you're not allowed to say that someone was greater than the greatest king. And so there was a tension immediately. And one of the more famous church fathers, Polycarp, was killed because he would not repeat those three words. Caesar is Lord. What drives a man to give his life simply because he will not say three words? And in our culture today, it doesn't matter if you're 14 or 56 or, you know, older or younger, wherever you are today, in our culture, I'm asking you this question, is there anything in your soul that is so founded, that is so grounded, that is so absolute, that you will not waver regardless of the advantage? Regardless of how ahead it will get you with your friends, regardless of how important it will get you in your company, regardless how much money it will make you in the short term, regardless of the fact that your wife will never find out, regardless of all the circumstances, is there anything in your soul that is so solid and concrete that regardless of what people see or don't see, you will not move? Because that's what differentiated the Christians. So far in this series of matchless, you know, that we've been walking through the book of Colossians, we've seen a lot of incredible things, right? We've seen Jesus as the image of the invisible God, the creator. We saw Jesus as the map to get us to the blessings of God. And we saw Jesus as the blessings of God. And we talked about this idea a few weeks ago about being in Christ. You guys remember this? That we're in Christ and that in Christ we are made complete, that we're identified with him, that we're adopted into his family, that we died in Christ and that we rose in Christ and that we're victorious 
in Christ and Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so then Paul, after he's outlined our new identity, says, because of all this, set your mind on the things that are above. Don't let circumstance define your reality. Set your mind on the things above. And we said that looking up equals moving forward, that the more heavenly minded I am, the more earthly good I can actually become, that the more I value the things of eternity, the more I can become useful in the things of the temporary. And then last week, we covered this idea of putting on and putting off. You remember that? Putting on and putting off. And I gave you that prayer. I hope you pray that prayer. It's on our blog if you, if you uh, didn't get the paper. But uh, just encourage you to just daily practice putting on and putting off, putting on and putting off. Are you guys blessed by that prayer? Good, okay. Nobody raised their hand. Fair enough. All right, so um, we talked about this idea that it's your job to change your own clothes, right? It's your job to change your own clothes. Now, this letter to the church of Colossae is really about the matchless one, Jesus, right? That's why we call this series Matchless, because it's about Jesus. But underneath the undercurrent that I began to find as I studied the passage for today, underneath the surface of always talking about Jesus and magnifying Jesus and making much of Jesus, what I see in these few pages is this new ethic, this new ethic, this new way of doing life. He's defining following Jesus married to an ethic that gets worked out in our daily lives. I want to show it to you in a couple passages that we've already covered. Colossians 1.3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. You realize that that was an audacious statement in his day. He was already saying, listen, Jesus is the Lord. That's who we're thanking. We're thanking our Father because of the Lord. And then he goes on to say it again in a few verses later in verse 6 of chapter 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord... So walk in him. So the Lord is the one whom you've received. Even before that, in verse 10 of chapter 1, he goes back and says, So as you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And so it's the Lord that we're trying to focus on, the Lord. And then Paul just breaks out. And we've seen this happen a couple other times in Scripture where we saw in him, with him, with him, in him, in him, with him, with him, in him, in him, in him. And then we saw put on, put off, put on, put off, put on, put off, put on, put off. And now in this passage that we just covered, we see this reoccurring word, Lord, 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 Lord. In fact, in the few verses we just covered, he says it seven different times that Jesus is the Lord. In the Old Testament, you can study this on your own in Exodus 21. They describe what they would do in the old covenant to a person who was a slave who didn't want to be freed. Okay? So occasionally, occasionally, what would happen was a slave, every, now the rule was that every seventh year, all the slaves, all the Hebrew slaves would be freed. And so a person would serve as a slave or as a servant for seven years, but at the seventh year, he would then be freed and no longer be a servant. He would be released. But if his master was exceptionally good, and if this particular servant deeply loved his master, he would go back to his master, and he would voluntarily choose to serve his master for the rest of his life. And when he would do that, the master would take this servant, and he would take a spike, and he would drive the spike through the servant's ear, and he would actually drive the spike to the servant's ear to a doorpost. And that symbolic act was to say that from now on, for the rest of your life, you are nailed to me. And some traditions say that they would actually wear a a ring in their ear to signify that they were a servant for life, a bond servant, one who had chosen to be a servant for the rest of their life because the master was exceptionally good. And realizing that that master from that day forward was the Lord, the boss, the king, the ruler of their life. See, the Bible 
articulates a reality similar to this. That you and I are born in sin. That there's a propensity within our souls to disobey and rebel against God. And that sin enslaves us. And so whether it's your fear or your lust or your greed, or you say none of those things enslave me, then it's your pride, right? That enslaves you and you find yourself bound thinking that you're serving yourself, not realizing that you're actually serving the sin that rages inside of you. And so some of us have experienced this firsthand through addiction that you said, I can break this habit. I can shake this thing. I cannot be depressed anymore. And yet you find yourself consistently falling into depression. Some of us have experienced this through drugs. Some of us experienced this through sexual bondage. Some of us experienced this through a hunger for, uh, you know, um, some type of, you know, higher level of success. And so we find our pleasure, our, our value in those things. And so sin enslaves us. And what the scripture teaches is that Jesus comes along, breaks the power of sin. And the interesting thing is frees us by enslaving us to himself. Okay. So we've covered this in other sermons, but one of the things that we outlined early on is that the highest level of human freedom is actually slavery to Christ, okay? Slavery to Christ is the highest level of human freedom. So the, 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 if I want to be the freest I could possibly be, I find that freedom by in allowing myself, by willingly saying, God, I choose to serve you. Why? Because this master is exceptionally good. This is why the scripture says, as many as receive him, he gives them the right to become children of God. This is why Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And so now what happens in salvation, stay with me. Now what happens in salvation is you say yes to Christ by the propelling of the Holy Spirit. He comes and abides in you. And we've covered this in Christ. Your spirit and God's spirit are married and you become one. One with God. And now God himself, the creator of the universe and the sustainer of all life, lives on the inside of me. That means my boss is never out of the office. I said, that means my boss is never out of the office. See, God's spirit and my spirit have become one. If you've experienced true Christian conversion, there's an inspiration deeper, an ethic that is deeper than anything in this natural world. I put it like this, okay? You can write this down. The presence of Jesus presides over every relationship. The presence of Jesus presides over every relationship. This means that no matter what I'm doing, no matter who I'm interacting with, the mantra that differentiated the Christians from those that were not Christians, the mantra that should differentiate us from a broken, fallen world that thinks that we can always be bought, that thinks that there's always a price, that thinks that it's always okay to sell out at a certain point, the thing that should differentiate us from all of culture is that the presence of Jesus presides over every relationship. It presides over husband and wife. It presides over child and parent. It presides over worker and employer. It presides over every human relationship. Is that making sense? So let's see how this plays out because Paul likes to give us examples. It starts in verse 17 and we'll walk through these pass this passage a little slower. Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. There it is, first one, Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do everything in the name of the Lord. Isn't that amazing that he says whatever you do? 
whatever you do, because most of us are obsessing over the specific thing that God wants us to do. And I think for many of us, God's response, you say, well, God, should I work here or should I work there? Should I go here or should I go there? Should I do this or should I do that? And there's a part of that that's important that God does number the hairs on your head. He cares about all those things, but there's a higher care that he has, and it's the whatever you do. Whatever you do, I'm less concerned with what you do, and I'm more concerned with why and how you do it. Because whatever you're doing, whether you're working here or you're working there, whether you're serving here or you're serving there, the thing that I'm looking for, says the Lord, is why that Jesus would be presiding over you doing it, that you would do it by carrying the name. I carry the name. You know, my sons carry my name. We have son number three coming up. Pretty excited about that. And we carry the Kendrick name, right? And so those boys carry my name. And because they carry my name, I seek to encourage the the character of Christ in them. And so I say to them all the time, listen, are you, uh, I say, what's your last name? And they say, so, you know, I asked Noah the other day. His middle name's Robert. I said, Noah, what's your last name? He said, Robert. I said, Noah, that's not your, no, your last name. Oh, Kendrick. Yeah, Kendrick. See, you carry my name. This is what the scripture's saying. It's saying that we carry the name of Jesus. Now, here's the amazing thing. Check this out. How do I know, Justin, if I'm carrying the name of Jesus? Right, Cheech? How do I know if I'm carrying the name of Jesus? How do I know if I'm doing it right? How do I know if I'm doing it the way that God wants me to do it? Well, here's a hint that we see through what the Apostle Paul says. You will see it in your closest, most familiar relationships. You will see it in your closest, most familiar relationships. It begins at home. And so let's look at how this plays out. Verse 18 and verse 19, some pretty volatile passages of scripture. Wives. Everybody say that next word with me. Wives. No, not wives. The next one. Come on, shout it out. Wives. Yeah, submit. Submit to your husbands. I think Paul wrote it like that. Wives, submit to your husbands. As is fitting to the Lord, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I know your blood's boiling right now. All right, listen. This is not MMA, okay? This is not submit. Oh, gotcha. That's not what he's describing here, okay? Let me lay out a few important things that culture's messed up, all right? In fact, my conviction is that the Christian faith has done more for the equality of male and female than anything else in the history of the human race because the scripture teaches a wild idea that men are not inferior to women although sometimes I even wonder, and that women are not inferior to men, but both men and women have equal value and glory in the sight of God. Okay, that's what the scripture teaches again and again and again. But what it also teaches is this beautiful dance between the two, that that men and women, however long culture tries to convince us, are not identical, but reciprocal. They complement one another. That male and female, just like, you know, the other day, me and my wife <clears throat> went to the ballet, and, um, and we went to the ballet, and we watched these, I think they were men, dancing <laughs> around, and they were, you know, spinning and, and dancing, and I was watching as they just, they flowed like one person. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you probably don't know what I'm saying, but they did. They flowed like one person. It was amazing. Two people moving like one. And yet one had a role that was to lead and one that had a role that was to launch off of the leadership, okay? And this is the, this is the nuanced scriptural version, like a right hand and a left. You know, I'm left-handed. 
I would rather you not cut my right hand off because I'm left-handed. I need both. I need both. And both play such an incredibly important role in my life. And so in these two verses, this is amazing to me. And I believe that we need this. So I'm going to pause here. In these two verses, Paul exposes what I believe are the deepest needs of men and women. And we've been arguing about this since the dawn of time, right? And in two verses, an unmarried dude nails it. He nails it because God spoke it to him. Okay? And so just check this out, right? First, we'll talk, just for example, we'll talk about the men. Because he says, wives, submit to your husband. See, the greatest need in a man's life is to feel supported, respected, and trusted. That's the greatest need in a man's life. He, he wants, beyond everything else, to feel supported and trusted by his wife. He wants his wife to say, I trust you, I respect you, I honor you, go. Do what you're supposed to do. That's the greatest need of a man's life. But reciprocally, the greatest need of a woman's life, look what it says about a woman. It says, husbands, love your wives. Of course, that's the word agape. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Don't you dare think that your leadership role in the family gives you a right to somehow use that in an authoritarian manner because that's not the way it works. That means that what you're supposed to be doing is instead of trying to flex your muscles of authority over a woman, you should be loving that woman the same way that Jesus loved the church by laying down his life and giving yourself for her in servant leadership because the woman's deepest need is to know that she is supremely loved above all else. And when the woman knows that she is supremely loved above all else, then she can then reciprocally begin to honor. And when the husband knows that he's honored and respected, then he can then reciprocally begin to love above all else. So she needs to know that she's loved more than basketball and more than work and more than the kids. We just figured it out. Awesome. And it's this cycle, but it breaks down pretty quick. And I know there's many different great books about this and all different writings that we uh, will dig into as a church, actually, hopefully in the fall. But, but the point is that there is this cycle. And the problem is the husband says, well, she doesn't, she doesn't respect me. I'm not going to show her that type of love. And then the, hus- and then the wife says, well, he, he doesn't, I'm not, I'm not, he's more important. You know, the football game takes priority over me. I'm not going to show him respect. And, she, and then he says, well, pff, she's not respecting me. How could you not respect me? I'm not going to love you then. I'm not going to put you, I'm not going to take you on some expensive vacation. Are you kidding me? I don't want to do that because you're not showing me respect. Well, you're not showing me any love. Well, how can I show you love when you don't respect me? Well, how can I respect you when your actions are not respectable? Come on, you've seen mom and dad do this or you're doing this. Or you did it on the way here in the minivan, right? Here's the radical idea, okay? Single people, stick with me. Here's the radical idea that Paul is proposing, okay? He is saying, wives, you don't respect your husbands because they're respectable. You respect your husbands because of the Lord. Husbands, you don't love your wives because they're lovable. You love your wives because of the Lord. It's not based on how you feel or how they did that day. If you want healthy relationships, the presence of Jesus must preside over the relationship. 
Wow, that's good. Thank you. I'm so excited. I appreciate your support. Thank you. Amazing truth. The presence of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, it's not based on merit. It's based on Jesus. That is a radical relational idea. Look what it says next. Children, obey your parents in everything. Somebody say amen. Amen. For this pleases your mom. No, it ain't about mom. Mom might be crazy, okay? All right? Mom might be nuts. Dad might be gone. Obey your parents because it pleases the Lord. You see how it's not about the parent, it's about the Lord. See how radical this idea is? Obey your parents because it pleases the Lord. And then he gives fathers a little kick because you never have authority that's not under the lordship of Jesus. Fathers, don't you dare provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't think, fathers, you can run away with the authority God's given you. You can't. You're still under the Lord. And so this pattern of saying both of you are submitting to the lordship of Jesus. Kids, you're honoring mom and dad because of the Lord, not because of how honorable mom and dad are. Parents, you're honoring your kids and not not pressing them too hard and not trying to exasperate them because you honor the Lord. And people would say, well, Justin, what about abuse? And, you know, what about if, you know, the wife is getting, you know, beat or the kids are getting beaten up or, or something bad is happening? Well, the beauty of the gospel is that the husband or whoever it is in the family is not the final authority. That those people that are receiving some level of abuse can then appeal to the law and can appeal to the church, to the glory of God. And so if you're in a position where somebody is being, you know, doing something, or you know, mom says, listen, I want you to go sell crack cocaine on the streets, right? you can say, no, mom, and you can appeal to the law. And you should, all right? You shouldn't do things. We see this constantly in Scripture where the leaders of the religious authorities of the day would say to Peter and John, they'd say, listen, we command you by the law to stop preaching the gospel. And Peter would say, well, I appeal to a higher law. I must obey God rather than men. And so this isn't a you know, free pass for parents or for husbands or for anyone else that God puts in authority to press someone beyond the commands of God, okay? Okay. Let's get into something just as controversial. Verse 22. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing... Oh, wow, there it is. It's amazing how that keeps popping up. Fearing the Lord. And the slaves really needed to understand this, so he says it 25 times. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the... and not for men, knowing that from the... You will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done. And there's no partiality. Masters, don't you dare think you can get away thinking you're an authority. Treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Wait, wait, wait. is slavery okay? Hold on a second. What, what is going on here? I want you to see today the brilliance of the gospel. Okay. The brilliance of the gospel. And this is something that scholars and theologians have wrestled with for a long time. Jesus didn't come to assassinate Caesar. Okay? He didn't. He didn't come and get out a sniper rifle and kill Caesar and overthrow the Roman government and all of their laws and rules. Jesus didn't come. Instead, Jesus conquered sin and he got the heart of Caesar out of a man. And that transformation of the heart leads to the root of liberty long past any governmental change. 
And so would the scripture say that we should keep slavery or deny slavery or whatever? Well, obviously he said, it's, it speaks again and again that yes, slavery is wrong, but the concern of Paul and the concern of Jesus was not at that time overthrowing every human law, but instead transforming the human heart, knowing that that transformation would lead in all ways to liberty. So that's why 1 Corinthians 7 says, listen, Paul says to the slave, if you have opportunity to get yourself free, do it by all means. But if you're stuck as a servant, then work for Jesus. Because the truth that Jesus introduces, which has, by the way, been the linchpin for why slavery has been abolished in so many places, and we have a long way to go, is that slaves, and this is what the Bible teaches, slaves and masters are equal. That one that is economically blessed and one that is economically lacking have the same value in the sight of God. In fact, it goes even farther in the scripture. He says that slaves and masters are brothers. And so if slave and masters are brothers, what did he just do but kick the bottom out of the power of slavery? And this is why the truths of the gospel have eventually led to the abolition of many, many slaves to the glory of God. And that was always God's desire and intention. But here's what he's saying. If you are stuck as a servant and you're unable to get yourself free, serve God. And if you're operating as a leader or master or some employer, you better realize that you're not actually the master. You're actually the servant of Jesus. And so this doesn't apply just to servants and master. This implies to any type of working relationship by which one would have authority to fire or hire someone else. And the question that he's really getting at is who do you work for? Who do you work for? Do you work for the public school system? Do you work for GE? Do you work for Dunder Mifflin? Do you work for the hospital? Are you self-employed? Is that what you actually believe? Because what the scripture would say is that's not reality. You don't actually work for any of those places. You actually work for Jesus. And if Jesus truly is in you, then his presence governs and presides over every relationship. Over every relationship. So think for a moment. What makes Polycarp unwilling to say three words? Caesar is Lord. What would make a man give his life? So just so that he won't say those three words. What makes Tim Tebow stay pure in the midst of such pressure? What makes college, you know, uh, me, a college kid, you know, unwilling to just lie and let the guy go to Bruce Springsteen concert? What makes a wife honor a less than awesome husband? What makes a kid honor a less than awesome parent? What makes an employee work incredibly hard even when his boss isn't watching? It's an ethic, a compass. Jesus is Lord. Wrap it up with this, Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Jesus speaking. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, 
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Jesus is saying, listen, I've planted my spirit in you. And by planting my spirit in you, you now have a supernatural light. Well, how is anybody going to see that light? How's anybody going to see a light that's internal? Well, they're going to see that internal light through what you do. And what you do is either going to echo one of two things. My boss is Lord as long as he's watching. And when he's out of the office, I'm going golfing. I respect my husband as long as he's home. And when he's not, I go shopping. I love my wife as long as she's around. But when she's not, I'm checking out other people. I honor my parents in front of their face. And then I blast them to my friends. Well, what separates the follower of Jesus from everyone else in the world who has a price? Jesus is my Lord. There's an ethic that I've made a covenant with God. And it doesn't matter if you got Bruce Springsteen tickets or not. I'm just not gonna say it. And everybody will laugh at you and people will think you're crazy. Lord means master, owner, king, ruler. Will you stay on your feet with me? We're going to pray. Question for you. Maybe it's your first time here. Maybe you're just here visiting from out of state or something. Maybe you've been here 20 times. Simple question for you. Is he? Is he? Is he Lord? You know what I found is that's not a one-time decision. Uh, It's not a one-time choice. Certainly it begins with a yes. But um, it is a decision that will be tested this week, I promise. So let's seek God right now. And let's just converse with him about this topic and allow him to speak to our hearts. Let's pray. God, we welcome you into this room right now, into this time of singing and uh, studying the scripture. God, I thank you that you are raising up a people that see the lavish grace of God and the lordship of Christ. God, I pray that today, if there is one person in this room that has truly operated as if Jesus were simply a friend and not a master, that they've misunderstood how slavery to Christ truly works, that real freedom is found in submission and surrender to one who can be trusted because you're good. I pray that you speak to our souls right now, God. Minister to us as we sing. And help us, God, to sing not just from our mouths, but from our souls in Jesus' name. We hope you've been challenged and encouraged by this City Church podcast. 
visit City Church at www.ourcitychurch.org.